Welcome again to H2O Church. Thank you, as Lauren said. Thank you for braving the snow. It's so wonderful to worship together, to sing that song, and to remember how sweet it is to be in a relationship with God. Uh, you know, these last season, as I've shared often, it has just been an amazing season of gratitude and thanks uh, in, on, in my life and in my wife and my family through all that we have been through. And even recently this week, as we were singing that song, I'm reminded of a time uh, just driving this last week and having a time with the Lord. And it was one of the best times of just being in God's presence that I've had in my life. And I know that's a big statement to say, but I was weeping and I was in the presence of God. I almost had to pull the car over. I was just experiencing God in such a deep deep way. And I know that every time we spend time in the presence of God, it isn't always a mountaintop experience. But when it is, it's so important us, for us to verbalize that to one another, to just remind each other that we serve an awesome, awesome God. He is supreme over all. He is a holy, majestic God. And by his grace and mercy, if we even get to experience a tiny bit of his presence it's overwhelming. It's, it's wonderful. It's so amazing, and it's life-changing. It's the greatest joy of our lives, and it is our prayer for every one of us here that you would experience that relationship with God in a deep way. You know, we talk so much about what God is doing, and, and we see all these flags, and Lauren talking about our conference, and we hope that when you see all of that, and you know what's going on inside of our church, that that would turn your eyes to a holy God, not to H2O, not to any of us leaders, uh, not to just some kind of method or strategy, but to a living God that said, hey, I know you're a little college church, but I want you to plant a network of college churches. And people say, well, where are the people going to come from a college church? Where is the money going to come from from a college church? And God just says, I got it. I got it. I will provide the men. I will provide the women. I will provide the idea and the vision and the money. And God has done that abundantly. And we're getting ready to celebrate our 15 years of this network from 2008 to 2023. And so please be praying for the conference. We're asking God to just do a mighty work in the young people in our next generation, that they would carry that baton to serve our holy God, to taste and see that God is good, to taste and see that we can pattern our whole lives after following him. And it makes everything great. It changes everything for us. So I'm very excited to share out of this passage today in Colossians. If you want to open your Bibles in front of you, you can. The verses will also come up on the screen. But this passage that we get to see today is the key passage of the book of Colossians. As Pastor Matthew mentioned last week, uh, this church is a newer church plant here in the city of Colossae. Paul is writing this letter to them. They've put their faith in Jesus and they're growing, but they're having obstacles like you would imagine in any new church plant. And the Jewish people that are following Jesus are thinking, hey, maybe we need to add some things from our old Jewish traditions to kind of make this Jesus thing even better. 
And the Gentile people in the church in Colossae, in the city, like maybe we should add some things to Jesus from our pagan past to make this Jesus thing even greater than it is. And Paul says, no, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is Lord of all. Everything is from Jesus, is created by him and for him. And he just lifts up the name of Jesus in these verses that we're going to look at. And again, they're kind of the foundation of the whole book of Colossians. So it's kind of wonderful to read these today. If you were going to summarize Colossians, the whole book, if you were going to memorize a verse about the whole book of Colossians, it's right here that we're going to look at today. So let's pray again and ask God to speak individually to each one of us. God, as we come humbly before your word, Lord, we open up our minds and our hearts to you, the living God. We thank you that you have given us your living word that works in deep ways in our lives and in our hearts that are beyond words, that are beyond what we can even comprehend and explain to anyone else. So God, would you do your work today, Lord, as we open up your word, Lord, speak to us, speak to us as a congregation, but speak to us all individually as you are so often to do. Holy Spirit, have your way in us that every heart would make room for you today. Lord, if our heart is closed off to you, God, would you pry that open a little more? If our hearts are fully yours, God, would you give us even more of your marching orders and your vision for our lives? We trust completely in you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Colossians again, the passages from 15 on. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might have supremacy." For God was pleased to have all the fullness of dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, through the death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. When we come before Jesus and we're asking, well, who is this Jesus? Maybe this is very new to you, and you're you're just visiting here, or this Christianity is new to you, and you're like, I just want to understand who God is and who Jesus is. Or maybe you've been following him for many years, and you know that if you've been following him for many years, we still have misconceptions, and we don't fully see the glory of who God is. And so these passages describe to us and remind us who is God, who is Jesus, 
And how is that practically implementing in our lives and and all the application that it could be? We often can find as we miss these passages that we're either not understanding who God is, we don't understand who we are, or we don't know the activity of God. Now, I'll repeat that again. A lot of times when we go through trials in life and we're going through hard times like we all do, and maybe it's our, our marriage or something in our family, some relational disconnect in our life that's upsetting us. There's financial problems, there's trials, there's health, there's discouragements that we all go through. Imagine that thing that you're struggling with, that you're tempted to be discouraged about. And we come before God and we ask those three things. God, in the midst of this thing, who are you? Would you remind me of who you are? To start there with the holy living God that has providence and love over our lives. Or maybe we're forgetting the second thing. Well, who am I? And and. Maybe I need to understand more fully who I am. Am I a part of your body of Christ through my faith? Am I alienated from you? God, tell me who I am. And then thirdly, God, in the midst of who you are and who I am, what are you doing in my life? And this scripture explains all that so beautifully. When we don't understand those things, it's like God is an undercover boss in our lives. I don't know if you've seen the show Undercover Boss. I love that show. Uh, And probably many of us would say it's hard to go through one of those episodes without crying at the end because they're very touching. And if you're not familiar with that show, oftentimes this president or CEO will disguise himself and slip into the company and actually be working amongst the employees, but they don't know that it's the boss. And so this boss is getting the inside scoop of what's happening. And sometimes these people are going through hard things. Sometimes they're even complaining about the boss to the boss. And they don't know that it's that him or her. And it's a really cool show because usually at the end, the boss gives them this incredible blessing as he takes off the disguise or he, she takes off the disguise and says, I'm actually the CEO And the person's probably thinking like, what have I been saying for the last couple of weeks? You know, and and there's a blessing there. I fear as Christians, we are going through life in this group together. And God is in our midst and we don't see him. He's like an undercover boss. We kind of know he's there, but we don't really know what he looks like. We don't know what he does. We don't really rely on him. And sometimes, as you see in these episodes, they don't trust the boss. And we can go through our whole Christian lives with the holy God being this undercover boss. And he's right here. And he wants to be known. And he wants to bless us. And he doesn't want us to miss that. As the disciples we're walking with Jesus. At one point, Philip said, <clears throat> excuse me, to Jesus, Jesus, would you just show us the Father? Would you just show us who God is? Would you tell us what God is like? And Jesus says such a profound thing. He says, Philip, have I been walking with you all this time? <clears throat> and you don't know. When you see me, you see the Father. 
Everything we read in the Gospels, we have this amazing privilege to get to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and study the life of Jesus and say, this is what God is like. This is God walking on this earth. And in Colossians 1.15, it reminds us of this again. Let's go back to the beginning of the passage. The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him, reminding us, thank you so much. What a blessing you are. The whole church thanks you. Um, When we see Jesus we see the image of God. That actual word there, the image, is the icon of God. If we think of an icon, someone that represents beautifully what something else is, that's what this word is here that represents who God is. And he was before all things. This title that we see in that passage, the firstborn, is like a king with the firstborn, the one that's going to have the future reign. It's going to be the king. It doesn't mean that Jesus was the firstborn person. Obviously, that was with Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the first physically born people. But Jesus, the firstborn, is a title that the people of this time understood This was the reigning king. This was the the reigning prince that was going to take over and be at the right hand of God to rule over all things. And even though Jesus walked this earth, he was also before the foundations of the earth, there in creation, creating everything that we see in the heavens and the earth, and all of it, everything we see in creation, this passage tells us, should point to God. And should be for him, for his glory, and understanding how wonderful he is and pointing to him. I think when we read passages like this, many times as Christians even, we would respond and say, yes, I understand that intellectually. God is king. He's the king of kings. Even in the Old Testament, it tells us that the Messiah is going to be the the prince of peace. He's this reigning authority over our lives. But sometimes in the very trial of life, in in the secret, in the innermost parts of our, our being, in our minds and in our hearts, we struggle with authority. We struggle with authority because we see broken authority on this earth. Many times we see authority taken advantage of. Maybe we've been hurt by that. Maybe we've been in situations where there's even abusive power. Maybe we grew up in a family and we're not quite sure how authority works. And we project that onto God. We project that unfairly onto a holy God. And when God comes into our lives and he says, I want to be the boss now. And really all that means is he wants to be the Lord over your life. And he says, I want to have authority over your life. I want you to follow me. The invitation is high and broad. Come and follow me. But the challenge is also high. Follow me, but do as I say and obey. We struggle. We don't respond well to authority. 
Any of you as parents would quickly admit that as we raise our children and we try to teach them that we love them, we forgive them, we want to bless them. It brings us great joy to bless our children, right? On Christmas morning when all the presents are out and they're opening them, we're hoping they love their gifts. We're hoping that they're blessed. We, we in some ways almost spoil our kids these days, and, and including myself, because we just want to communicate how much we love them and we do anything for them, and that's wonderful. And most parents here would like resonate with that. And kids love that. They're like, yeah, I'm all about that, you know? However, when our children stray, when our children do something dangerous, when our children do something that we see the trajectory of it is unsafe, ungodly, or might bring um, tragedy or a lack of joy in their life, we have a responsibility to steer them back. And if we don't discipline them, if we don't correct them, if we don't show them the boundaries, what kind of parents are we? I've always tried to probably like tilt toward grace in my family. And it was very funny when we were getting married, I came from a pretty strict home. And so I was telling my wife, Mary Lynn, who if you know my wife, Mary Lynn, she's so kind. She's so, I mean, everybody says, your wife is just so smiling and she's so kind. And I said, hey, honey, when we have kids, you're going to have to toughen up. You know, you're going to have to like, I'm going to be the disciplinarian, but I need you to get me back. You know, I need you to get my back, right? And through primary counseling, we talked about this. When we had kids, our roles totally shifted. I was the softy, you know, and, and she was much more structured and very faithful at, at discipline and all those things. And I was, I, I was surprised at myself. And she'd pull me aside and she'd say, hey, you know, this good cop, bad cop thing, you're the good cop, I'm the bad cop, this is totally not working. I was like, I know, I'm sorry. I'm surprised at myself, you know. And you come together as a team to try to present the beauty of love and grace, but discipline and structure and, and correction. And as we come before our Heavenly Father, isn't he a way better parent than any of us? We're terrible parents compared to our Holy Father. And he can look at us and say, I want to pour out my love and I want to pour out my grace upon you, but there are things in your life that need pruned. There are rough edges that need to be polished. You are making selfish and ungodly decisions, and the Lord wants to correct us, and we can stiff arm God. Say, no, Lord, I love the blessing, but don't you dare tell me how to walk with you. Don't you dare tell me how to forgive this person that's hurt me. I have a right to feel this way. I have an entitlement to these certain things. Don't tell me how to, to walk in my own sexuality. Don't tell me how to do my finances. Don't tell me to do these things that don't feel good to me because I want to be the Lord of my life in these areas. And the scriptures tell us, no, he wants to be the Lord of all. So here's a question I throw out to you. Is Jesus a symbolic or ceremonial king in your life? Is he just a, a, a ceremonial king like, like Queen Elizabeth? 
She just passed away recently, and you see all this wonderful pop and circumstance for her and just a wonderful legacy and uh, seemed like a wonderful person. And I got the privilege of going to London and seeing uh, that place a while ago. And when you just see that kind of thing, you think, wow, the beauty and the majesty. And, and a, a young person seeing Queen Elizabeth's life say, well, w- tell me about this. Like, does she have authority? Like, what's her role? And the royalty in England would just say, well, it's not quite political power anymore. There's not really legislative power anymore. There really isn't technically any authority. It's kind of more of a figurehead or a symbolic authority that she has over her country, right? Is that what we want God to be in our life? It's just a symbol. It's just a ceremony. But, they, but God doesn't actually have any lordship in my life. And God wants to change that. He wants us to trust him in everything, every area of our lives. He wants us to trust him. Joshua 24 clearly just lines up this contrast so beautifully in the Old Testament. They're battling their wills, just like mankind has done forever. Who am I going to serve? Am I going to serve myself? Am I going to serve God? Am I going to serve these false gods or am I going to serve the true God? And in Joshua 24, 14, it says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped before the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors that you serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And then Joshua says this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Choose today, choose this morning, who are you going to serve? Is he going to be the Lord of your life or is he not? Would we, by God's grace together say, as for me, my own heart, I'm gonna start with me, and I want my marriage, and I want my kids. I'll I'll start here. I want God to be the Lord of every aspect of my life. And we hope and pray that that is a unanimous decision in our church. When we see the evil in the world, and we see the good, we see people do beautiful things in the name of Jesus, we see people do atrocities, and we can kind of separate ourselves from all this is going on, and the things that we see in the news, we're reminded that every one of us has the potential to do great awesome things and to do great evil in our own lives, in our own hearts. Alexander Scholzenitsyn said this, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties either, but rather through every human heart and through all human hearts. That's the line separating good and evil inside you, inside your heart today. And as you say, Lord, I want to serve you. Rid me of my selfishness. Rid me of what the enemy is trying to do in this world. And I want to be on your team. As we go on in verse 17 in this same passage, back to Colossians, it says, He is before all things. 
and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from all the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. It's a very important theological thing here. Let your eyes go to the part that says he is the head of the body. We believe with all of our hearts that every Christian church that's following Jesus and believes the Bible to be God's word, that Jesus is the head of that church. Jesus is the true shepherd of H2O. He is the pastor of H2O. We are only under shepherds trying to hear God as best we can to communicate that to him. But our importance is much less important than the true shepherd of our church. We are his sheep, he is the shepherd, and he leads these churches, and he is the one moving his kingdom forward. Never look to a church to be your God. Never look to your church to only be the only source of scriptures, but you devour the word of God, and you understand who God is and what he is saying to you. Never look to a person to be your idol, or put them on a pedestal. Even theologically, why we have so many pastors preach at this church and why we're always sending people out is we are not trying to build an empire here of one great church, but we're trying to raise up an army of men and women that love the Lord, that hear from God and serve the Lord, and you don't get attached to one personality and be like, oh, I really love the pastor at H2O. People don't even know who all of our pastors are oftentimes or who's going to be preaching preaching next, and that is all intentional because he is the pastor of our church. The true shepherd and pastor of the church is Jesus. Always hold on to that. Even if you find a different family or you move or in this town, we have some wonderful, amazing churches that we are so linked with, and you don't find this to be your home, please find another home. We're excited about that. We know that people move around, but never just go home and be in a community of just yourself. That's not a community. So many people are still on the couch after COVID. And the Bible tells us to be faithful to gather together. And even those listening on the live stream, if you still find yourself not in fellowship, please Pick a godly church that loves the Lord, whether it's H2O or somewhere else, because we want to be in fellowship together because we are the body of Christ. As we go on to the third section here in verse 19, it says, For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. This is the third part of what God is doing right now with all of us. He's reconciling us to him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. God is reconciling things. God is reconciling us and others to himself to make us holy. 
What is your purpose in life? What is he doing with you and I right now? He's reconciling. He's bringing things back into line with him. He's bringing us back into this relationship with him. How did he do that? How is he reconciling all of earth back to himself when we were all alienated and we're going our own way like sheep without a shepherd and we were scattering? God came to earth and died on the cross for our sins. He shed his blood in this physical way so that we might be atoned and come back into a holy relationship with him. Did you see the end of that passage? He's reconciling us. Why? To be holy in his sight. To have us live without blemish and to be free from accusation. You know, when I'm tearing myself down in my mind or at our lowest moments in life, you ever feeling really terrible about yourself? Maybe you've done some sin and you're just wondering, man, can I even move forward? Do I even belong to God? Do I even belong to church? Should I even get up in the morning and go with everything going on in my life? Isn't this the greatest news that God is still working in you and he still wants to make you holy? He still wants to present you blameless and without blemish before God. And that when we stand before God and the blood of Jesus has washed us clean, we are without accusation. That's incredible good news. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I need forgiveness, I need a new start, this passage reminds us of who God is, who we are, and what he is doing. He is bringing us back into relationship with him. I want to tell you a quick final story before we pray about a reconciliatory moment for me from way back when. And it kind of has this piece of like, who's the boss who am I, and, and what God is doing. Uh, but very early on in my college career, I went to BGSU many years ago, and one of my first jobs here in Bowling Green was delivering pizzas for Miles Pizza. Now, some of you townies from many years ago, you might even know who Chip Miles is and who used to own Miles Pizza. He's moved to the East Coast somewhere, and I think the place now is called the Pizza Pub. And I worked for Chip Miles. I was delivering uh, pizzas, and uh, they had these tiny little Chevettes that he owned, if you remember that vehicle, the Chevette. And uh, we had the little pizza oven right next to us. Uh, it was plugged into the, the lighter, and we'd put our pizzas in there and drive around town. Well, Chip made it very clear. His insurance costs, can you imagine the insurance costs of a, a, a business with a bunch of crazy college kids driving your car, cars all over town? He said, never give anybody a ride in these pizza cars. This is just pizza delivery. Here am I, dumb kid, dumb college kid. I'm out delivering pizzas, and uh, one of my friends gets a hold of me and says, hey, I'm out at the mall, it's raining, and I need a ride. I went out there, I picked up my friend and put him in the back of the pizza car. Terrible mistake, dumb. I'm driving down right in front of the bowling alley. It's raining. I look to the left for a moment and a car stops in front of me and I didn't see it and I slid and crashed into another car. I put my head through the windshield, actually. Broken glass and blood. It was very bad. The police come and they do the whole report. My friend actually had to walk back uh, home and everything. And um, 
a couple days later after I healed up and I, I go back to work, sweet Chip Miles, he's, he was a great boss, and he says to me, hey, were you driving somebody else in the car? And I wanted to lie, but I knew he already knew because the police told him. And I said, yeah, I did. And he said, you're fired. And so it was like The Apprentice. You're fired, you know? Um, a rightful decision. Well, years later, after I started to walk with Jesus, I remembered that incident. And I went back to Chip. Of course, I didn't work there anymore. And I processed this whole thing with him. I said, I don't know if you remember me. And I were, he's like, oh, I remember you. Yeah, I'll always remember you. And I said, I'm so sorry. That was a terrible decision. Uh, you were very gracious to me, but you were very stern as a boss. You know, you didn't shame me or cuss me out. I knew the rules. I broke them, and you fired me. And I just want to ask for your forgiveness. And he said, absolutely. I totally forgive you. Thank you for coming back and talking to me. And then we chit-chatted, how are you? What are you doing? And how's your family? And we had this really nice connection. And every time I saw Chip over the next decades here in Bowling Green, we had these warm interactions. He was such a great example to me of when we do things wrong, there needs to be correction. There are rules for a reason, and we do dumb things to alienate ourselves from others and from God. But what God is in the business of doing is forgiving and rebuilding relationships. Always come back to the Lord and say, God, remind me who you are, who am I, and how are you reconciling me to you? And make him the Lord of your life. He's such a good boss. He's such a good Lord and he is worth all of our investment. Let's pray for that.